Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Welcome to the latest episode of Five on the Floor on the Five Reasons Sports Network. You can also catch us, and you might be catching us, on Dash Radio. That's the Nothing But Net channel. Make sure that you download Dash Radio and then go search for Nothing But Net, and you will get our show every day, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern, 7 to 8 a.m. Pacific. Also, check out FiveReasonsSports.com. That's our website with all of our free content. We do not charge you. We do not have a paywall. You can find the podcast, including Three Yards Per Carry and Five Rings Canes, both of which are going into football season, provided we have a football season. And our YouTube channel added 300 new subscribers just over the past month because people are checking out the videos that we're doing and also our streaming shows, one of which we're going to talk about a little bit here today. Also, check out all the great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network. And, of course, that includes one of our favorites, and that's Biscayne Bay Brewing, which is the official beer, not only of Five Reasons Sports Network, but also of the Miami Marlins, who I think are going to start playing baseball again. They've, they've headed back from Philadelphia. And also of Inner Miami. This is South Florida's actual independent brewery. Biscayne Bay is owned by local guys who employ people in this community to make their beer right here in South Florida. These guys are committed to our community and to supporting Five Reasons Sports, so we can keep bringing you all the local sports content that you can handle. If you care about supporting local business and drinking amazing beer, grab their stuff, whether it's Marlins Lager, Miami Pale Ale, or Tropical Bay IPA at all major retailers throughout South Florida. Biscayne Bay Brewing, it's the beer we're drinking at Five Reasons Sports. One of the hosts today is going to be commissioned with picking up all the beer, and hopefully we'll still get some of it. So check out Biscayne Bay Brewing, official craft beer, Five Reasons Sports. And now, today's episode. Welcome to Five on the Floor, a Miami Heat and NBA podcast from Ethan Skolnick with Alvon Sydney, a.k.a. Alf954. Brought to you by the Five Reasons Sports Network. All right, Ethan Skolnick back on five on the floor. Today's floor plan, I've got Greg Sylvander. I've got Alex Toledo. Alphonse Sidney will join us later in the week. We're also locking up a couple of pretty good guests here. I am actually in Orlando right now as we're recording this. I am outside the bubble. I have not been tested yet. Uh, That comes on Monday. And then hopefully, if all goes well, uh, I will be starting to cover games as what's called Tier 2 Media on Tuesday. So that would be for the the Boston game, and I'll be covering some other games there as well. We have to sit up top, can't get near the players, can't interview the coaches, but we're just there to kind of take in the action live. So I'm going to try to do that this week. We'll see how it goes and maybe do it more as the playoffs start. Today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the Denver Nuggets game. We did a lot of that on our live stream. Both Alex and Greg joined on that live stream um, on the YouTube channel. So we're not going to sort of overplay that. We're going to look ahead to Toronto, which just beat the Lakers. And also, we're going to talk a little bit about Jimmy Butler. All right, Greg, let's get to the Jimmy Butler news. Um, first, I'll let you present it. <laughs> Since this is tricky stuff. Um, what what happened that. today? What can we say? I would say that the the biggest takeaway is that Jimmy Butler is okay and that Jimmy Butler is going to be available to play and um, barring something crazy coming out of nowhere. And, and what I mean by that is probably – related to testing because testing is so precarious as it is you know we we don't know um if you get something that's inconclusive or if you know what the results would be so i think when you've seen some of um the other media members talking about um any extenuating circumstance you know barring that happening uh jimmy should be available tomorrow i think that that's probably what it's related to but ultimately it is a false alarm jimmy butler is okay and uh, he should be good to go um, against Toronto. Yeah, and and I think again we're not going to belabor this, but this you know sort of freaked people out because Jay Crowder had a comment today on a Zoom call uh, where he talked about uh, you know we'll see Jimmy 
after he quarantines, um, I, I want to make a couple of things sort of clear from a general perspective here. Uh, the first thing is not every teammate is going to know what's going on with every player. I know they're together in the bubble, but there's a certain amount of information about everybody that's being kept private. And so I, I, I you know, got to be careful not to jump to conclusions just because a player says it. Obviously, Goran Dragic, when he talked about none and Bam not being there, okay, that sort of gave away what we already knew uh, in the media. A lot of us knew. And so there's no, there's no way to really, you know, paper that over. But in certain cases, when guys talk about people not being available, they may not know the whole story. The other thing, um, you know, to consider here too is try to try to look at this from a common sense perspective. If Jimmy Butler had tested positive, you know, after the game or, or Sunday morning, the heat would not have practiced on Sunday. Um, and so when you saw the heat practicing and then when Jay made his comment and everyone was kind of like, and after this was after there was a report, I think Tim Reynolds was first on it, that Jimmy was not with the team at practice. And then Eric didn't want to elaborate on it. There was, you know, concern about what was with Jimmy. But again, if Jimmy had tested positive, the players would not have been on the floor. That's my understanding of it. Is that again, before we move to the basketball is Greg, is that also your understanding of it? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that they would have taken the floor. Like, and neither – I don't think the Denver Nuggets. I think that we would have heard something from that side of the media world and, and you know, even at a national level when you have two teams involved that way. Like, this is the other part of this. The NBA is going to be so unbelievably careful. Ethan, you're experiencing it right now when you're trying to get into the bubble, how careful they're actually being. So I just think that um, for stuff like this – Ultimately, I think it we it would have been it would have made a lot more noise, and I know it made a lot of noise at least in Heat world. But overall, I think it would have been um, a lot noisier had this been a, a something that could have uh, impacted multiple teams. Yeah, no doubt. And so again, take this stuff into consideration. The NBA has protocols. MLB doesn't seem to have protocols. Anybody's following in the NBA, they're going to get followed, and so assume that they're following the protocols uh, until we, you know, hear about a Lou Williams situation. All right, let's get to basketball. Alex, want to start here. I really don't want to spend a ton of time on Denver because we did so much of it. Um, obviously, you know, Kelly Olenek with, you know, 20 in the fourth. Duncan Robinson, I thought, played one of his better games with the Heat. Bam, looked terrific. Uh, they took a little time to get going, but the, the, the starting lineup with the switchability with Jay Crowder seemed to work. But I want to project ahead. I, I want to look at Toronto – uh, Boston won today as we're recording this. They, they beat Portland. They blew a big lead, came back and finished it. Um, but when you look at Toronto and you look at Miami, can we take anything from the matchups in the regular season so far? I mean, I don't think we can get too carried away with it, even though I'm, I mean, I'm very, very guilty of doing that as somebody who just thinks – a lot of Raptors fans are, I, I get it, right? They're defending champs. They have a right to be cocky. The Raptors and their fans really weren't doing much of any winning uh, before Kawhi Leonard was traded there. So now that they have it, I, I get it. They've been a great, great story. They've been a lot better than any of us even thought. I kind of laughed at the idea that they were going to be a top four seed before the season started. And I was thinking about it today that I think they're, along with the Heat, I was think I couldn't really think, I think are the kind of the best threats against the Bucks this year. And I think it's crazy that we're at that point now looking at that roster and they're real, but I think that the Heat do have the best Siakam defender, just like the, they have the best uh, Giannis defender. Mm. And that's always going to make me feel pretty confident going into it because I think he's their best one-on-one -on -one weapon when things break down, even though the, the Raptors are relentless at finding the open shot. Like it's, they almost never break down, which is what makes them so uh, kind of special. They're like the, a team's team, right? Like they're like the on, – on both sides of the ball, they're a team. And they're relentless with it. So they're not a joke at all. But I feel pretty good about it. The the, the Raptors kind of remind me of um, – and there's obviously – the game is so much different. But just from a mentality perspective, they remind me of like the 96-97 Heat. Like just a team that always is mentally prepared, is really tough – what you know well coached um really disciplined a lot of those things kind of um it just when sometimes i say to myself gosh that looks like a miami heat team playing out there and so it's it, it'll be an interesting clash particularly of styles with uh they're both really good three-point shooting teams i mean there's a lot of elements here that are going to be interesting to see play out one thing uh somebody it's funny that you're making comparisons to older teams because somebody made a comparison 
on Twitter today said that they're kind of like the 04 Pistons. And I thought that was like, okay, that clicks. That makes a lot of sense in my head. It's like they don't the, – the team is almost – you know, the sum is more in the parts, that whole, you know, the cliché. I think that's exactly what they are. I think it's like they have all-stars, but then they have so many other, like, very good players, and they're, they're deep and all around a two-way team. So it's like you cannot take them as a joke. And I think they were, vast, you know, vastly underestimated. But just like every other team, they give up a lot of threes. And so the Heat can kind of always have that to rely on. So that's why I'm confident about Bam as a defender and the Heat's shooting and Jimmy Butler to get to the free throw line. So I think that's why a lot of Heat fans are confident because that's been the formula. Yeah, well, and I think the one of the things that Eric Spolstra said today uh, really applies. When he was asked, you know, what about the Raptors sticks out, he said their speed. And I think that it, we don't talk about that uh, in the NBA so much. We don't talk about pure speed. But the Raptors, we talk about length a lot, right? But the Raptors have both. <laughs> you know, they, they, have, they have speed at a lot of different positions. They have length. And then they have physicality because they do have Gasol. They can go bigger on you. Um, but they, they seem to have a template for players. You know, I, there are certain guys, like, you watch, I'm watching Terrence Davis, I'm watching Boucher, and I'm like, he's a Raptors player, <laughs> you know? Like, Siakam's a Raptors player. Like, I loved OG in the draft, loved him. I, I just didn't know if he was going to be healthy because, you know, obviously he missed his senior – I don't know if it was junior year or, or sophomore year, but he missed his last season or a large portion of it. And I know – but I, to me, guys, like, he was a Heat player. Um, I was like, that, that guy would plug in here perfectly – and he plugs in there. And I think you can say that, like, as I was watching the Raptors against the Lakers, like, there's a lot of guys on this roster who would fit in, who the Heat would love to have. Like, the, the whole damn team. Right. Like, Gasol, Gasol would help the Heat. Lowry would help the Heat. Obviously, Siaka would help the Heat. Van Vliet would help the Heat. Okay. Ibaka. Ibaka would help the Heat. Like, the whole team. Like, and I don't, that's not necessarily true of all other good teams. Like, there's some players on Milwaukee who fit with the Bucks that I don't think fit the current Heat all that well but with Toronto they are to a certain degree carbon copies of each other I think that uh that nurse the way he approaches things seems to be somewhat similar to Spo and, and you got to give Masai credit and I, we are going to do this a little bit tonight Greg because I know I, that what was it nope name on Twitter was engaging Alf on the Masai Ujiri Pat Riley conversation I, I want to get you going a little bit hey, Ra- it's, it's just more of the theme of Raptors fans I mean, just carelessly going at Heat fans. I think it's a very – I think it's a battle that they got to be careful with because, had, had, like Jimmy Butler said, have they beaten the Miami Heat yet? They have not. But, it, it, but, it's, but it's, it's two games. I mean, it's two games. They did, <laughs> they, 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 did, they did win the championship last year, Alex. I mean, it's not – I mean, Yeah, and then their, their best player just dipped. I mean – And their best player left. dipped in their second in the East. Like, I'm not – like, okay – I understand it, and we're going to reserve the second half of this episode in large part to trashing the Sixers, so everybody's going to want to stick around for that. But, like, it's not like with Sixer fans where – I really like this Raptors team, man. I do. But, God, it's like, why do the, why do the fans keep trying I, – I, I feel like I'm not even, like – I'm not as aggressive as most of Heat Twitter is with replying to everybody, but it's like you're, you're asking for it. And it's like, come on, you got to at least beat the team once before you – at least the Sixers beat the Heat once. Well, and also just comparing organizations, like, yes, obviously Toronto has had a great run and they've improved dramatically in a, 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 in a million ways compared to what we've normally seen from that franchise, you know, historically. Um, but, I mean, if you really think about it, the Kawhi uh, buzzer beater had to happen. And then Golden State had to basically lose you know, like three of their, of their, you know, primary guys. And it doesn't matter. Greg, I'm not going to let it does. Look, Pat, the, the, the great Pat Riley lost the finals because magic and Byron Scott pulled their hamstrings. Right. And they got swept out by Detroit, but nobody takes away the Pistons title. Like I, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't want to do that to them. I, maybe it's because they're Canadian and they're nice. They also came back from down 0-2 versus Milwaukee. This is true. This is they true. Did. No, and I, like, I don't want this to become a situation where you trash Toronto because Toronto is, like, a great team, and I enjoy watching them play. Like, it, it has nothing to do with that. It's more about um, there's been all of a sudden a shift toward comparing the two front offices and team-building philosophies and things like that, and I just think it's a little soon. They're pretty similar, um, too, the philosophies. Correct. No, for sure. Um, They're the most similar in the league, I think. For sure. And and so then I kind of revert to um, who has more championships, who's been doing it longer. 
And, um, and also this is the other part of it that I think that, um, let's, and, and I know we're jumping ahead a little here, but like, let's see what happens in 2021 before we get, uh, you know, we crown <laughs> either of these organizations. So, I mean, I still think there's some of that that, uh, needs to happen, uh, for us to fully evaluate, but at this current moment, like, are we really putting Maasai, uh, in the same boat as Riley? Like, is that, is that really what we're well, going to do? Well, I don't think historically, but I, I think, uh, look, you do these in different time frames, right? And I do uh, look 2021, Another conversation we can have here is I see the Raptors as a big if, – if Giannis leaves Milwaukee, I see the Raptors as the biggest threat to the Heat. I, I do. I know that some have said – I think – who do we have on? Matt Moore said L.A. or one, one of our recent guests said they thought – Yeah, Matt Moore. LA. No, no, no he Matt said, he said, said California. He said California. He didn't say L.A., which could be but, Golden State. But you kind of got him to basically <laughs> almost admit that it was the Warriors. Right. I think it's the – right. So the Warriors – the teams that are talked about for Giannis the most, I, I think, you know, the, the Heat thing got some late buzz. I feel like we had something to do with that. Uh, but the it really was Dallas, you know, because of the relationship with Luka, and they're going to have the space, and they've got an elite top ten player he can play with right away. Golden State, maybe one of the L.A. teams, maybe. Although I don't think he'd play with LeBron. And, uh, and then the other one is, is Toronto. And you can – I absolutely think that you can make a case that Masai has set the stage for this. I mean, he's already proven that he can develop players around a great player, that he can sort of keep rebuilding the thing, that he can win with a great player, that he can cash in. Like if Giannis – that's the thing I think that will be attractive to Giannis in Toronto. If they don't win in the next two years and Toronto's knocking at the door, you know, Masai can go to him and say, look, Kawhi, you know, he came here, he won. Now, Pat can do the same thing, but it's going to be a longer period of time ago. So I do think they're a serious threat. Like I, I, and I don't think Giannis is the type who's going to be not want to go to Toronto because it's not a quote-unquote attractive city. I mean, it's an international city. Um, I mean, I don't think that the, the tax difference is going to be a big issue to him. Like, I, to me, also it makes reported, a lot of sense. There's also a reported appreciation of Masai Ujiri from yes, Giannis. Yes, for sure. Part. I think there may even be a relationship there. But the other thing that we have to remember with Toronto is that we need to see what they do with Lowry and Van Vliet and uh, some of these other guys that they have um, that they have to make decisions on. So like the other part of that is what kind of team will be there. And I think that we can bank on them having a competitive, good team, but um, I I wouldn't necessarily look at the roster as constructed today and say, Oh, Giannis is just going to parachute into this exact roster and that's what it's going to look like. So um, there's a little bit of that where I think that there's more decisions to be made with key players. Whereas Miami, if we're just going from the heat's perspective, Bam is locked in, Jimmy is locked in and, and all of the other guys that would walk into that meeting um, are um, locked in with the heat. But how would he, okay, so, so and I want to get back to Riley Ujiri. I don't want to, I don't want to leave that. So let's get back to it right after this. But let's just talk about fit with some of the current players, right? For Giannis, okay? Um, in Miami, you can make an argument that he, you know, if he doesn't develop as a shooter, and I wouldn't put anything past him, especially with Spolster, but if he doesn't develop as a shooter, that he's not that that Bam and Jimmy are not necessarily the best fits with him. I know the relationship. We've talked at nauseum about the relationship with Bam, the agent, all that. But I'm just talking about from basketball perspective. But you can make the case that he fits pretty damn well next to Kyle Lowry. Um, you can, you know, Siakam. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how different that is than Bam. Uh, but he fits no, pretty well next Siakam's to Bam. Definitely, Siakam's definitely got more of a perimeter game than Bam at this point. I think significantly. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying Bam will, you know, can't get close, but Siakam is doing off the dribble stuff and taking threes off the dribble uh, pretty frequently now and is their main – I think I think he, he averaged like 23, 24 this game. I mean, they're definitely a cleaner fit offensively, but I think once you once you go into – maybe the Heat's plan is just, you know, we're going to go into a meeting with Miami, uh, no state tax, Jimmy, Bam, Duncan Robinson – enter another star here possibly and then say that's the best we can do <laughs> yeah well i think when we talk about shooters duncan robinson if you have the best shooter on planet earth walking yeah. into the meeting that that definitely mitigates some of maybe what bam doesn't do um that's right. similarly to Siakam um from the perimeter but also uh you hit on something alex like i think th- something that will be explored really uh 
strongly is just looking through the league and finding out, can you get a third guy? Can you walk in with Jimmy Bam and another guy um, along with Duncan Robinson and the complimentary pieces to, to, to make that pitch? I think that that would be the ultimate way to walk into that meeting. Uh, instead of you throwing the rings on the table, you're throwing three stars on the table, but they have to be, there's a certain, like you can't have three guys that are going to make $36 million. So like there's that, that's why the list mm. shrinks when you're thinking about guys that, that make sense to do that. But Greg, how much does that change if, uh, if we've talked about the internal development? So how much does that change if you can go in and say, well, maybe we don't have a third all-star, but we got two guys in Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson who are pretty damn close. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I wonder for Giannis if he wants to be a, join a team that already has three star egos. You know, I mean, he, in Milwaukee, there's, there is no ego, right? Like Chris Middleton has no ego at all. Like there, there is not – I mean, he's a guy who was basically given away for nothing. There's there there's no ego players there, right? I mean, it's veteran guys who you know like Corver and Brook Lopez and George Hill and Robin Lopez. Yeah, you're right. It's not. It's definitely not guys that are um, like silver spoon guys that well, were top draft picks and stuff like that. But I think Miami has elements of that too. Like if you're talking about stars that are all about the team, all Bam and Jimmy do is love their teammates. So I feel like that there's an also a part of the way the superstars mindsets would be in Miami. That's a little different than walking in with like Steph and Draymond and clay. And you know, like it's just a different vibe with Jimmy and bam and those guys. But um, I mean, obviously we're really speculating because this, you know, we have basketball at hand, but uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens there because it's, it's a tight race. If you're talking about these different teams, at least in the East, it's really only Toronto and Miami. Yeah, I'm watching uh, Giannis right now. And I, we do want to get back to basketball, but I feel like people want us to talk about this more anyway. I, I, the best fit for him of all the other star players is Steph Curry. So, you know, if we're really to talk about fit and, and you know, I mean, him playing with Steph and Clay, I mean, good night. It's, it's, it's almost more unfair than the Durant thing in some ways. But And, and what topic we're going to do, but not tonight, is whether Giannis at this stage is anywhere close to where LeBron was um, in 2010. So that's another topic. But let's let's get back to Toronto uh, here for a second. I'm watching Lowry, uh, you know, carve up uh, the Lakers, but he doesn't carve them up the same way that some of these other point guards that that carve up the Heat do. Um, his, his play style is a little bit different. We've seen Jimmy guard him quite a bit now that we know that he's playing. What is the defensive approach Monday against the Raptors? That's a really great question. I mean, I feel like Lowry is a player that is not necessarily the same type of like Kemba Walker style point of attack player. Um, so, so you're going to have some success with Jimmy there. Um, Van Vliet's a different story. Um, the, the other, you know, big one, when, when Spo mentioned speed today, I, it jumped off the page or, or jumped out in audio because Miami is second in the NBA with fewest points allowed on fast breaks. So I feel like that there's definitely going to be um, something's going to come to a head there. Uh, and that that'll be an interesting dynamic to watch because um, that has been really something Miami has honed in on uh, second in defensive rebound percentage. So there's also some of that, like cleaning up the glass and getting out. I think Miami wants to run a little bit more. So there's, there's a clash of styles and um both of those guards, that that's going to be an interesting mix because Jimmy can stick Kyle, tough. but who's going to be on Van Vliet? It's real tough. They're going to have two, you know, and then, and that's Lowry and Van Vliet aren't even necessarily the fastest point guards laterally. But like you guys are saying, besides the fact that this entire team just moves the ball just so quick, I think that's another way you can kind of uh, factor in their speed as a as a as a team as a whole. It's just how fast they move the ball. And, and they don't just move it just to move it. They move it with a purpose. And it's like they, they know exactly how to break down every matchup. And I think that's kind of something that he'd have to prepare for too. And Lowry and Van Vliet being at the top of that is going to be a weak point for the Heat. I'm going to say two guys who can pull up, who are can kind of uh, maneuver their way around the pick and roll as a shooter, passer, both smart. And I think it's going to be real tough for them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you hit on it. I think when Eric said speed today, he didn't necessarily mean foot speed at every position. I, I just think it's like the purpose that the Raptors play with. Um, there is not a lot of wasted motion. 
and it's the waves that they come at you at it with, you know, and I think that's a little bit what Eric's trying to replicate with the heat, but Nick nurse kind of has it down to a science. And for those, you know, who thought that they'd go and I didn't look, I didn't think they would be a top four seed this year after losing Kawhi. But I, I think what you missed or we missed was that, you know, they played pretty damn well without Kawhi last season. I mean, Kawhi sat a lot and but they won a lot, right? They they were almost, they were on pace for 58, 59 wins this season. That's different from being a, a good team to saying, okay, yeah, this team is going to lose Kawhi and win just as many games. <laughs> and we know that, that winning just as many games doesn't necessarily mean that they're the same level of playoff contender without a Kawhi Leonard there. But yeah, of course, it also means that guys like Van Vliet and Siakam took a, you know, a sustained jump that maybe we saw that level from them in the playoffs, but to do it over a full regular season and to really be those players for a full regular season, I think I think we all maybe didn't see that coming. And Siakam taking an even bigger leap than I think we saw. So I think it just made them all the more dangerous. It's like an elevated version of when, um, for instance, Zoe goes down and the Heat still win 50 or uh, LeBron leaves and the Heat are still a game away from the Eastern Conference Finals. Like well, the best some example, of- the best example is is the Bulls. Um, you know, the, when Jordan quote unquote retired the first time. Oh yeah, and, and they won fifty eight games. Yeah, they won fifty seven, fifty eight games with Scotty as the and co coach and Pete Myers as the starting two guard. B.J. Armstrong, baby. Season. Yeah, I remember I wrote a column uh, that didn't didn't end up playing out very well. Uh, after LeBron left in 2014, I talked to Pete Myers about what uh, what the Bulls did at post Jordan, and and you know I was like, okay, here's the plan. Here's what the Heat can do behind Wade and Bosh now to make up for LeBron. Yeah, none of that happened. They were they were playing Henry Walker down the stretch of games. Uh, that that and Michael Beasley. That's pretty much where that went. But yeah, I mean, teams can recover, but I, I think what's happened with the Raptors is you know they lost Kawhi, which was this huge chunk. But everybody else improved by ten percent, and so it's imagine kind of if he stayed. Well, that's the thing that people have asked that on Twitter. Like, if he stays, do they walk? Do they? I mean, Milwaukee's still formidable. I mean, I'm watching them, you know, get off to a fast start against the Rockets tonight. They probably are the favorites to win the title again, right? Yes, I think that. I mean, I I think we have even me as the Heat homer that I am. You have to take the blinders off at some point and say like they were trending the way you know upper 50, um, you know, 55 plus wins without Kawhi. If you, if you think all those guys are going to take the leaps, we saw them take in the playoffs and sustain that. And then you add Kawhi, even if he's on some kind of load management, I feel like they would be the, oh, yeah. the absolute favorite. Everybody would be seeing Raptors Lakers finals for sure. Everybody yes. would be saying, I'm not, you know, we're not believing the Bucks until we see it because people are saying that right now, and there's no Kawhi in the East. <laughs> That's true. That it does seem like it does, and I noticed this after the Laker game. You're right. I know it's like there is this rush to anoint anybody but Milwaukee. Like no, nobody believes it until it's it actually crazy. happens, like, right? Giannis right? is no. one of the most surefire talents. Like I don't know. I'm young, but what do you guys think? Is Giannis not like? modern Shaq in a way as well, far as he's sure he is, but, I, but I think the reason for it is because Chris Middleton is not a household name I, I think if if he was sure. it would look different but I think a lot of people look at the Bucks and they say Giannis and they think of it like those LeBron teams where like Mo Williams was the second best player or Booby Gibson when Chris Middleton's better than Mo Williams was but I don't think true. I don't I don't think that there's recognition of that and so either way, it's like you're going to look at like us, the way that we look at it. And we know Chris Middleton. We know how good he is. And still, it's like, are you going to trust Chris Middleton and the rest of their team, even with how good they've been and knowing that Milwaukee had the number one most productive bench in the league? Do you trust that help over just saying, oh, yeah, LeBron and Kawhi have uh, Anthony Davis and Paul George at their side? It, it does kind of just come down to that when you look at it. Right. Because it's like because it's the box. And all three teams are really good on both sides of the floor, too, because it's not even like the Lakers and and, uh, Clippers are are mediocre or, you know, they're all these elite two-way teams. So I think we're we're all kind of simplifying it to, yeah, Chris Middleton isn't as good as Paul George and Anthony Davis. And and in a lot of ways, you know, Chris Middleton was better than Paul George this year. I'm, I'm not saying his upside is better, but he had a better season than Paul George. I mean, statistically. And they won more games in the league than the Clippers did. Now the Clippers were, were loan managing both guys, but, and I like, you know, I still like the Clippers to win the championship provided that they all get back in the bubble and they're all healthy. But 
I don't I – I understand it because, I, again, Chris Middleton was not a guy that people paid attention to in college, was basically, you know, cast aside. I mean, he's – you know, and then and then he developed kind of, you know, incrementally each year. It wasn't like – Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Just overnight, incrementally, he got a little better, a little better, a little better. And then, oh, he's an all-star. Oh, he's the all-star that nobody really cares about. Now, Now that's where he is. If he does something significant in the finals, that changes. But he also doesn't have a big personality. He's just it, and people don't even know how to spell his name yet. Like seriously, like how many people? How many casual NBA fans can spell K K H R I S? He's yeah. not at the Dwayne well, stage. That combined with Antetokounmpo, which I I saw a really funny clip Milwaukee. of. Um, of, of Eric Reed. Yeah, that I, you know, he usually is so spot on with the names. Like he's really, really great at that. He's been that way since I've, you know, been listening to him. So it was, it was almost like jarring to hear him butcher it the way that he did. And I probably have already butchered it along the way here. But the other, I mean, with Milwaukee, just generally, I think I subconsciously discount them because the only time I ever remember them being good was like that Sam Cassell, Ray Allen, Glenn Robinson team. Yes. With Tim Thomas or whoever that was back then like other than that the bucks have kind of always been like a have not and and there's something subconsciously that makes me feel like that's just going to manifest itself at some point and mm. i probably should stop doing that because there's a there's a little bit of like bias there from from the past we do do that with certain franchises it's like when the kansas city royals were good wait the kansas city royals are good like what when when the hell did that happen i mean Honestly, that should be the case for the Clippers. I mean, they ha- they've had uh, I mean they had a worse time for twenty years than anybody, but I don't think we do that because you know they have had the bridge period where they had at least CP3 and Blake and and DeAndre Jordan. But anyway, all right. So Toronto, one uh, thirty on Monday. This will be out long before that, so uh, we'll see how that goes. And then Boston on Tuesday. I want to tell you about something from one of our great sponsors. And then when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the mess in Philadelphia and also the Heat starting lineup and whether or not we think it's something that will continue. I want to introduce you to another of the great new sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and it is a sponsor that would be important in any time if you want to have a beautiful workspace, but it's especially important now when you need a safe one as well, and that's safecubbies.com, which offers modular office solutions designed to elevate your open office into a modern and safe environment at any budget. You can personalize your workspace with options like whiteboards, magnetic panels, acrylic sheets, and graphic branding. Most of the surfaces are non-porous for easy cleaning and can be removed or replaced within minutes. Now, this is for workplaces. They've got a bunch of different options on their professional series, but also they've got private room solutions, dividers and sneeze guards, and they have a classroom series as well. So if you're involved with the school, this is definitely something your school should check out, of course, if we have school in the fall. And that's the point here. We are entering a new normal period with COVID-19, safecubbies.com, which is locally owned is the place that you want to go. The phone number is 754-216-1071. Again, that's 754-216-1071 or safecubbies.com. All right, back on five on the floor. We had uh, the postgame interviews, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Eric Spolstra. Then on Sunday after practice, Eric Spolstra, the aforementioned Jay Crowder and Kelly Olenek. Uh, we we try to play Alex's clips here on the show, so he's chosen this one. Uh, this is a question of Jimmy Butler about Duncan Robinson. I'm proud of him. Uh, he listened. We have been telling him, like, Duncan, it's okay to dribble the ball once or twice. Now, when you get three dribbles in, something bad is probably going to happen. But um, the crazy part is everybody thinks that Duncan's just a shooter. He He's a great decision maker. He can finish at the rim. I mean, day in and day out, he's working on his shit like around the rim. And he's he's tough. Like, come on. If you go under on the screen, he's going to dot your eye. And then when he's getting into the paint, I'm glad that he's on my team. 
All right, so let's get to it. Um, Jimmy Butler, Duncan Robinson, uh, 40% of the starting lineup that included Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder was on the call, as I mentioned, on Sunday and talked about the switchability a little bit. One question I did ask, and then I, I want to get to the, how practical the starting lineup is going forward, that I did ask of Jay Crowder, uh, was, well, of Eric Spolstra about Jay Crowder, because we were talking about this on our stream, was, you know, do you want him shooting contested threes? And he said, not only does he want him shooting contested threes, he wants him shooting more and deeper from three. He says, I want Jay to extend his range out to 25 feet because it gives us more space. Um, like while the iron's hot, he's shooting 40% since he arrived. So as long as, as long as he doesn't regress to the 30% average he was in Memphis, keep firing him up, Jay. Well, keep firing him up. Like I said, I, you, you'll feel differently at 32%, not just 30. You'll feel differently when it starts to come down a little bit. But is that with this current starting lineup, the reason I asked the question of Spolstra, is that required? If he's going to be the starting four, that he's taking, you know, five to seven three-pointers a game? Yeah, I think for sure. I, I, I Honestly, I would – I think he should be doing that regardless, but definitely even more so in the starting lineup because it's like – the offense is going to go around everybody else. So I think his offensive purpose is to shoot threes and basically do nothing else. Whereas like on the bench, obviously we know they go around Goran, around uh, Hero, and even Olenek creates the offense, but there's a little bit more of a, you know, egalitarian thing going off uh, on the bench unit. But at the same time, Crowder, I think, has just turned into <laughs> such a good shooter over his time here. Maybe some regression does come, but at the end of the day, I believe at this point that he's a he's better than a thirty percent shooter, right? Maybe we, we I look stupid uh, in a in a month or two or even earlier than that, but <laughs> at the end of the day, I want the guy taking threes until he proves me wrong. Unless he just goes on a you know on a slump of just yeah, games well, and games in a row, it's like I want him shooting threes. Well, even if he does go on a slump, I, he has to shoot threes. I think part of what you're banking on there is not only is he going to continue to shoot at the forty percent clip but you want the idea of Jay Crowder shooting 40% to just stick in other teams' game plans because we talk yeah. so much about gravity with Duncan Robinson and that ain't going away. But if you have another guy that teams are like, whoa, look at this, like this is a sustained three, four-month stretch of 40% shooting, they're not going to be able to leave him either. Even if he does start to regress, the idea of it, the, the threat of it will be uh, enough to open things up. So that's why I think you're, you're seeing Spo kind of tell him green light um, you know, and that, so like, it'll be interesting to see if he can keep it up, but even if he regresses, it, you, you have to have him doing that. I've, uh, have you guys noticed the difficulty, like the, the, the change in difficulty of shots, of, uh, you know, his shot selection since he's been in the starting lineup and in other times where he's been the starter, feels like when he comes off the bench, he's almost like more aggressive with the jumper. He, he's like mm -hmm. more willing to take a jumper that maybe he wouldn't in the starting lineup. But he, when, I think at the end of the day, he's going to keep getting open looks, which is why I want him to shoot. I, I don't tr think that he's going to take, you know, really bad shots or anything. And I think that he's going to play next to elite shooters every time he's on the floor, but especially in the starting lineup when you're also playing off of the two all-stars on the team. So I think for sure you don't got to worry about that too much. Well, th that is part of it. I, I think, you know, and that's why I wanted to ask about the fit and also about, you know, whether you want him to keep shooting the threes because you get different looks based on who you're playing with, right? So he's going to be playing more minutes now with Duncan Robinson. And we've talked about gravity. And I know that Cooper Moorhead tweeted a lot about this and how, you know, we've talked about it too, but Coop's the best. And, and he was talking about Duncan recognizing, you know, his own gravity at this point and making the pass get off the ball and basically allowing Bam to slip a screen and all, all the kind of things that, that Duncan's doing, the subtle things now that are making Duncan even more dangerous as far as the, the totality of the Heat offense. But it also helps a guy like Jay Crowder because, I mean, every team in the league would prefer that Jay Crowder shoot than Duncan Robinson, right? Now, I mean, when Duncan's coming off the bench with – I mean, when Jay's coming off the bench with Kelly Olynyk, who he's playing a ton of minutes with and has great chemistry with, going back to their Boston days. but when he, and, and I know that's been a really good two-man combination. But, you know, you, you might be okay with Kelly shooting on occasion, okay, as long as he doesn't go nuclear like that fourth quarter against Denver. You're never okay with Duncan Robinson shooting. And so I, I do think it's going to get – Jay Moore of those looks. I, I noticed that uh, his looks kind of came from all over the floor in terms of uh, three-point range. It was, you know, sort of left, center, center, right. 
Um, but I do think the corners are going to be there for him all the time. And I do think the Heat fans, though, have to get used to. There are going to be some one-for-seven nights. I mean, there just are because historically okay. he's not that good a shooter. I mean, as long as you're okay with it, yes. I mean, as long as it's creating that option for you. They've got so many other shooters, and that's why I'm so confident in him. And also, uh, in the same sense, Iguodala, even though I already trust Crowder more as a shooter than Iguodala at this point, I think everybody should because he's the one showing it on a consistent basis. I, I don't know that Iguodala would shoot at this high a percentage for this long. Uh, his shot kind of seems up and down. But at the end of the day, Crowder's going to keep getting open looks. And it doesn't matter if, uh, you know, three, the three-pointers are such a – it's the most variance when it comes to basketball. And I think when it comes to guys who aren't necessarily specialists but who are good, like those nights are going to come. The thing with the Heat is that they don't need him to be that guy. They've got so many other great shooters. They're consistently great at shooting and were before that trade. And that's why it's, a, it's, it's great about it. Whereas, like, you saw that Memphis team that the Heat got blown out by and uh, Utah and other teams where Jay Crowder was basically the, the guy that they traded for as a 3 and D guy, and he would be out there in lineups with one other shooter. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's in the proper role here. For sure. And I think another thing that um, is just going to lean into him uh, getting as much playing time as he can handle is that even if he doesn't shoot great or if he – has a stretch where he's, um, you know, like not hitting shots, but maybe he'll he'll pick back up. The one thing that you can count on from Jay, and and it's something I know that's a little cliche, but the motor, like he does not stop. And I think that Spolstra can probably trust him from an effort and uh, physicality perspective in ways that maybe some other guys he might not necessarily be able to, to really just like be 100% like going full uh, till at all times like Iguodala's picking his spots at this point of his career I don't blame him I mean he's he's in the latter parts of of his career Jay is still going 100 miles an hour from a hustle perspective and and some of that is just invaluable um, I don't want to get into the Myers Leonard uh, kneeling thing because we did so much of that on the, the post game and thank honestly, you and, and, and honestly I feel sort of unqualified I mean Alf Alf had a four minute commentary on it you know in the midst of our stream and I recommend you check out our YouTube channel and, and, and hear that, um, you know, before you make any kind of judgments about it. I do want to ask from just a strictly a basketball perspective, uh, you know, now that you've had some time to process Myers Leonard, who was a big part of the starting lineup and a player that we all acknowledged uh, the heat missed when he was out. I mean, the, their record was not very good when he didn't play, or at least it was, it was closer to 500, whereas they were a much better team when he, when he played and when he started, which is what he was doing. Uh, now that you've had some time to kind of digest him not being a starter and maybe not for a while, what exactly is his, <laughs> excuse me, is his role going to be? I mean, that's tough to project. Honestly, we saw that he didn't play at all in the Nuggets game. I'm not sure that it's going to be that black or white every time. We do know that this rotation is uh, 11, 12 deep, depending on how you feel about, you know, Solomon Hill and Derek Jones Jr., but at the end of the day, it's I just don't think Myers is going to get shut out that quickly in that, you know, black and white of a fashion. As I said, I think it was a matchup thing for whatever reason. Spo thought that that made more sense, even though it was interesting, right? Because the Nuggets had no choice but to go big in that matchup. Like you just look at the injury report, you see, exactly. yeah, that, yeah, that Harris, uh, Harris, Murray, and Barden are all out. So it was kind of funny that that would be the time that he would use it. But the Nuggets do play a very egalitarian, you know, uh, Jokic from the high post, move it around, kind of perimeter game. Everybody's moving and cutting all the time. So maybe he wanted some guys who were a little bit more mobile. But it, at the same time, I'm not really a big fan. Like, I don't know if, if, if I love the idea of this being the starting lineup going forward. I, I just like the idea of Myers being their, uh, their drop guy and having another – uh, extra shooter in there but more importantly than that the size I think like you go into a Raptors game let's say it was a series right uh, a seven game series between the Heat and the Raptors I would want Myers to start I would want Myers to guard a Marcus Gasol and you know not have to worry too much about the bigger guy because I think Marcus Gasol is somebody who could really make that matchup the the mismatch pay and maybe other guys won't other centers won't but uh, you know a lot of teams like I think could kind of take advantage of that and I think at this point you know maybe if the Raptors started Baca you could you could go small because if Baca is not I don't know if he's somebody that will really take you to the post whereas Gasol is just killed in every facet of the game but you know what I'm saying I think they kind of relied on Myers' size a lot this season 
And I think they might. It again. does change their identity of the team, which they said that they didn't want to do, by the way. He, he did say that, but I think that part of the identity of the team, you know, the thing about the word identity when the Heat use it is that they have some identities that kind of cross over each other. And sometimes, like, you sacrifice one to promote another. And I feel like one of the identities they want to get back to is we're going to defend the hell out of you on the perimeter, right? And and we're going to make things difficult. And this is a team that's done switch some switching over the years. And and I feel like that's the identity that Eric has chosen to prioritize right now. It's that well, we're going to get we're going to get after you a little bit more on defense. And like you mentioned, Myers is big in their drop scheme, but the drop scheme on its own is 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 a non aggressive scheme, right? I mean, right? I mean, that's, well, at the end of the day, a lot of the the most elite teams in the NBA defensively are using it. I think it's I a personnel thing, and but at the same time, it's kind of about okay, we're not going to fear the three. We're going to fear threes from the best shooters. And I think that's what the, the drop does is it allows a lot of threes, but at the same time, you're kind of making sure that the rim is always protected because that's still the most efficient, you know, the most efficient. I think the drop, not right. only does it allow threes and protect the rim, but it, it makes a lot of guys take mid-range shots, you know, those in-between, the in-between game, the floaters, the runners, a lot of shots that teams aren't necessarily telling guys to shoot and then they're not practicing as much maybe no no I, I get it and I understand it from a strategic standpoint but I think what, like we talked about what are the three issues on defense for this team personnel okay there's not a lot you can really do about that other than play different guys okay but there's certain guys they can't play off the floor because they need them offensively okay so the next thing is uh scheme okay well you can you can tinker with the scheme a little bit but the third thing is disposition and I think that is the identity that Eric's prioritizing, which is, all right, if we tweak the scheme a little bit because we've tweaked the personnel a little bit, then the, then the disposition may become more aggressive defensively. And right now that's what we need. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm I'm not arguing, I'm not arguing with you that, that what Milwaukee and Toronto employ is not ultimately what most teams are going to. And I'm not arguing with you that, you know, it may be the best thing for Miami, but I think when Eric was looking at this team now, he's like, okay, we can't defend the point of attack. Okay. Uh, I don't have these guys playing like the rabid dogs. I want them to play like, okay. And I've got some guys on this team that are just not going to be good defenders no matter what I do, unless I hide them in the zone. So the other option is let's play, let's start Jay, start switching everything, get a little bit more aggressive on the perimeter and at least I'll get them tuned up. Okay. Oh. I think that's part of what he's doing here. I like that they're trying this out now. Like, you know that I've been all about the, yeah, it's, let's, let's try new things out, especially because, like you said, they, they, they have obvious weak points. And I don't want to, you know, kind of over – I feel like I'm always talking about their defense and maybe even more so than their positives. Their defense is about 14th in the league all year. It's not a terrible defense, right? I'm, and I think Spo has done a very good job with the roster that – and specifically the rotation, right, because we went into this – roster thinking Justice Winslow is going to be the starting point guard and that Dion and JJ were going to be prominent parts of the rotation and that's why we thought their defense was going to be so good this rotation that we know that he does Spo I think has absolutely done a great job with them on defense to getting them to the middle of the pack considering we all kind of consider five or six guys to be bad defenders there at the end of the day I like that he's trying this because I think it gives them different looks like you said and defense is their weak point because uh, you got to try different things, I, and the perimeter—it is a perimeter-based game now. Switching has seemed to be success, uh, successful for other teams. I think it's something that they definitely got to try. Because if not, there's going to be one way to beat the Miami Heat, and I like it. I'm glad that he's doing this experiment because in the past, and he said it the other day, they didn't want to change their identity. This doesn't mm-hmm. change too much, but it does change their defensive identity just a little bit. It changes their defensive strategy more than their identity is what I'm saying. I, I yeah, think, I feel you. I, I think the identity is, again, it's more attitude um, and disposition. All right, speaking of attitude and disposition, after the break, we're going to talk about the team that gave up 53 to TJ Warren. Before we do, I want to tell you about another great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that's Keystone Chiropractic. You can find them at chiropractickeystone.com. That's our friend Dr. Jonathan Chung. You know, a bulging disc probably isn't why your back and neck hurt. Bulging discs used to be blamed for all types of spine pain. The truth is, if you're over the age of 30, which only two of us here on this are on this podcast, you probably have a bulging disc and don't even know it. That's because most bulging discs don't cause any pain at all. 
When it comes to pain, you are more than just a picture from your MRI. Many patients with back pain or neck pain can become pain-free even though your MRI looks exactly the same. If your doctor is blaming all your pain on a bad disc, make sure you get second opinions from healthcare providers that have a strong focus on rehab. That's why you need to check out our guy, Dr. Jonathan Chung. Get more health tips like this and more by following at Keystone Neuro. Neuro is spelled N-E-U-R-O or dot Dr. Jonathan Chung on Twitter and Instagram and also the website chiropractickeystone.com. All right, this is the point where I would ask you, Alex, should we, should we play the clip? Should we play the clip? What do you guys think? Should we play the clip? I, I caused a stir by just posting it again. The famous Philadelphia clip about Jimmy. What do you think? It's beautiful. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. Did Alex is going right to find – we're going to find the clip. Okay. Here, this was when Jimmy left Philadelphia for Miami. Uh, these fine people of Philadelphia had a snap assessment about what his motive was and how that was going to go. Crystal, Jimmy Butler says he only cares about winning. <laughs> so and he, went, the, he went to the heat. So I don't even know how those two sentences marry each other, but let's just for fun. Does he make the playoffs next year? Well, that was determined, Amy, that that was a lie. No, <laughs> Jimmy Butler will not make the playoffs. And guess what? If I have to eat my words and he is going to have a first round exit, it's going to take at least one or two years for Jimmy Butler, who wants to be the guy so badly to get the team to be built around him, to be good enough to compete in the East. The East is getting better by the second. The Maury Povich reference is the tremendous, most tremendous thing ever. And I, I just want that. to applaud you. You're the real MVP. Right? Okay. Um, I almost feel badly about doxing her again last night. Is that, is that the word? Is that what, is that what the kids call it? Um, because everybody. Oh, well, I don't think you posted her, her address. I did not, but people found it. People <laughs> found it. Wait, what? They did? Everybody, yeah, because they know. I No, I did not post her, her Twitter ad. I did not. And just like I, I wouldn't. With others, sometimes I quote tweet people, so it's going to be on there. But I, I think, think Alex was alluding to you posting her physical address, which we didn't. Oh do anything no, no, like that's that. toxic. No, no, no. I, I didn't even post <laughs> yeah, her Twitter I, handle. I no, I didn't even post her. I, sorry, that's an honest mistake made by a forty-seven year old. Um, <laughs> I, I, did, I didn't even post uh, her Twitter handle. But wait, people, hold on. People, what know. did you think doxing was? I thought it was, I, to me, I thought doxing was not just sending somebody somebody's address. It was just basically outing somebody as somebody oh. to go after. So I didn't do any of those. I thought things. you thought for a second that it was just specifically a Twitter thing because of you saying at. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I did not lead anybody to to her or to any of the hosts on no, that they found address. They found address. it. But she was, she was found, um, and, and, and to her credit, uh, she basically said that her, what was it? Her, her meter, her or something was truth meter or something was faulty. She, she owned up to it. She's she owned did. Up to it. Yeah. Now she, she handled it with grace for sure. Um, I just think overall, it, there's just so much irony in what we saw yesterday. One TJ Warren and Jimmy have the stuff going back and forth. And then TJ Warren is dropping 53 on the Sixers. Um, there, there's also the, the parts of it where we see, Embiid and Shake Milton, which please let me get to the Shake Milton stat line at some point here. But you see those two uh, like arguing with each other and and kind of like it's literally the first game and they're already arguing and at each other's throats um, and, and just Embiid putting up ridiculous numbers and they still lose. It's just it's poetic justice from a Heat fan perspective. Yeah, I mean, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? So is, <laughs> I wonder, again, Jimmy's obviously been going through some other stuff over the past 24 hours, but I wonder what he thought of that, right? Like, I'm sure he'll oh, get he's asked. chuckling. Yeah. I mean, when Not you right? see Shake Milton, he had more fouls than points, rebounds, and assists, steals, and blocks combined. So that's but it wasn't five. just that. It was the way it looked, Greg. There were clips. I mean, he looked like he never played basketball before. Oh, my God. Hold yeah. on. Yeah, right? Hold I mean, on. Can we talk about that clip? Have you guys seen that clip, like, recently enough to remember, like, the way that it, that it played out? Yes. Like the Shaky Milton clip? Yes. Shaky Milton. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take a controversial side here. And, and, look, I don't want it to seem like I'm just defending my, yeah, I like the Shake Milton at point guard take. Because I'm still with that take. Right. But no, but my thing is here in that first clip, 
Embiid. I mean, Shake Milton was clearly caught on the screen and got completely messed up by the screener. Didn't even see the guy coming. But Embiid was already, like, screaming at him before he even, like, before there was anybody scored. Like, Embiid was being a terrible teammate. And at that point, it's like, you're going to yell at the guy for getting caught on the screen. It's like, and not recovering. Like, you thought he was going to recover there after getting just completely destroyed. You get what I'm saying? Like, Embiid has the traits of somebody who kind of isn't a great teammate. And I don't want to say that as an overarching, you know, character slant. But I feel like we've kind of seen those things come out from him before. And it kind of would make sense to what Jimmy was alluding to by leaving that team. But Jimmy didn't leave because of Embiid, though. See, that's I know thing. he didn't. I know he didn't. I'm I mean, not, I'm not, I mean that, that's, the, that's the one guy that... But he's the leader. He's supposed play. to be the leader. And, and I feel like we've kind of seen a lot of situations with the Sixers pre-Jimmy and after Jimmy that it's kind of unstable in there. Well, yeah, he, I mean, he, he, and Simmons, has a white side, he has a white side characteristic to him. He's just a better player. And Simmons but, is the quiet guy. Right. But, but here's the other thing about it. TJ Warren did almost all of his damage against Ben Simmons. I mean, that did you see? He's like eight of nine with Simmons guarding him. I know anybody can have an off night. I understand the guys are getting themselves back into shape and mentally they're getting back into it. But we thought, I thought, that I'll, I'll just say I thought that Philadelphia would work out some of this stuff um, and at least enough. In fact, I said I thought they could get the four ahead of the heat. Um, I, but it clearly hasn't happened. And I, I think if you look at this and you trace every move, and we're not going to do this today, we love mocking the Sixers. But, I mean, even the Markel Fultz trade, I mean, if you were going to end up starting Shake Milton at point guard, why didn't you just give Fultz a chance to play point if the thought was you're going to – that maybe Simmons would move to four? There's no there's, foresight in the no situation. They I mean, hadn't played it out to its end yet. I think now that's at the point where, like, yeah, we can't do the Simmons at point guard thing anymore if they're just going to keep loading up on the paint. So we got to try something new. I think at that point there was still some optimism. Well, and this is, like, what I keep harping on, and, I'll, and I shall – I'll die on this hill, and that's just the way it's going to go. And, and uh, shout out to uh, a dear friend of the program, George Sedano, who, who for a very long time talked about how he'd rather be the Sixers. And yes. what I kept going back to is this, is that – there are certain organizations that over and over again, no matter how much talent they acquire, no matter how many assets they acquire, they don't know how to use them, put the pieces together and maximize what they have. And I feel like Philadelphia is a perfect example of that. They exemplify it. The Minnesota Timberwolves are another organization like that. The Phoenix Suns have morphed into an organization like that. for years before, before Doc got there. Exactly. So I, I just think ultimately – um, there's, there's Philadelphia. It, there's just something that stinks around that roster. It, it's got like a vibe of, of guys that don't want to be together too much anymore. Um, you don't really know whose team it is. And I think that it's a, it's a weird situation like Bam and Jimmy, they kind of like tag team the whose team is it situation in a real graceful way. That's just not something that's plausible with these guys in Philadelphia. So to watch them sort of crumble and it's early, it's only one game and they are the type of hot and cold team that could, could flip the switch back on. But when we watched TJ Warren literally cook, I mean, he shot, he only shot four free throws and he got 50, 53. Is that what it was? Yeah. Um, I mean, like he was cooking the Sixers. It was beautiful. But, but the other part of it is too, uh, you know, we're mocking the Sixers because we don't want to mock our old friend, James Jones, who gave away. Or Josh Richardson. Uh, or Well, Josh Richardson was awful yesterday. Yes. But we also don't want to mock our good friend, James Jones, who was GM of the Suns who not only, not only gave away T.J. Warren's for cast considerations, but gave away a second-round pick to make it happen, which, I mean, I, you know, look, I, I, we've mocked T.J. Warren a little bit here because we've had some fun with it on the Jimmy thing. T.J. Warren is a starting forward in the NBA. He was basically just handed to Indiana for nothing. I mean, he was just to, absorbed into cap space. And you mentioned Phoenix is another of those organizations <laughs> There, there's a habit of that. I feel like they have a chance to turn the corner now with Aiton and Booker, but I also feel like, and again, I hope for James Jones' sake that it's different because I'm a big JJ guy, um, you know, from covering him. But it's a Robert Sarver organization, and it probably won't turn out well. All right, that's all we got for today. Um, I'm not going to be. It turns out I'm not going to be able to get in in time uh, Monday, so we're going to do. I'm, I'm here in Orlando, but we're just going to stream it. Uh, we're going to do a streaming show pregame, uh, probably a little halftime, and then we'll have the postgame pod. So the Heat and Toronto. Thanks for joining us. Hopefully. Uh, you found us on one of the podcast apps or on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. Check out our sponsors, SafeCubbies.com, Biscayne Bay Brewing, 
and our friend Dr. Jonathan Chung at chiropractickeystone.com. Shake Milton. Ah. Thank you for listening to The Five on the Floor on the Five Regional Sports Network. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.